What up, peeps? Top of the hour here, 1 o'clock on the East Coast. Obviously, if you're in a different time zone, it's a different time. But that doesn't really matter because I am Guy Adami. It is August 3rd. It is Wednesday. Dan Nathan's still on vacation. This is Market Call. I am joined on Wednesdays by the great Tom Sosnoff, founder and CEO of Tasty Trade. In just a few minutes, Carter Braxton, worth of worth charting, will be joining as well. Wednesdays are jam-packed, people, so strap in. Today's episode is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow. Tasty Trade, empowering the individual investor through content, technology, and know-how. And of course, we're powered by Open Exchange. Tom, how are you out there in Chicago land? I'm, I'm actually pretty good today. All things considered, pretty damn good. What are you feeling? Since I want to start with a question, and this is something we've talked about for a while. Carter's going to join in a few minutes, but since the middle of June, we've been pretty steadfast in our belief that you know the S&P, which traded down to 36 and change or so, was headed to 4,100. I thought it would coincide with Apple earnings. And the question from one of our viewers, Michael says, we hear about the powerful bear market rallies. Do you think, Tom, this is what we're experiencing right now? Um, very fair question. Uh, I, I, I actually, I, I don't want to. I'm going to answer the question, guy. I just, I hate the term bear markets and bull markets mm-hmm. because, because I think it really confuses people. I do think that we are in the midst of a very cyclical marketplace, of which it's more more likely than not that the bottom around 3600 is probably in for 2022 but it wouldn't surprise me at all for us to dip down another 100 or 200 points but i don't think we're getting anywhere back close down to where we were before so i kind of like this market if it drops back down to 403900 so to answer the person's question directly do i think this this is a bear market rally not really Mm-hmm. Not really. I think it's a little bit more than that. A bear market rally, like, you know, a 500 point S&P rally is a little bit more than a bear market rally. Mm-hmm. Fair. No, listen, that's fair. And listen, we say it all the time. That's what makes markets. So I guess the mindset then, if you believe that, which you clearly do, you're looking for more opportunities to buy dips if the market were to sell off again than to effectively sell rallies. I mean, at this point, where your head is at, you're going to let your winners run. And to the extent that you can buy things on sell-offs, you're looking for that. Now, my mind's wired a little differently right now, but can you speak to that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. I think there, when I look at this market, and I always think of things in terms of pot odds, mm-hmm. and I'm a little different than most traders in that sense. And from a pot odds standpoint, um, you know, as for most of this year, I felt that and, and I felt that the pot odds were to the upside for the last couple of months. Um, for the last couple of years, I felt the pot odds were to the downside. So I was way too early. Um, right now, it's I, I feel like we're pretty, just like talking about today, for example, I feel like we're pretty rich up here at 4150 and you know heading towards 4200. I feel like the market's pretty rich. So I actually like the pot odds to the downside a little mm-hmm. bit more short term. So I'm leaning a little bit short here, just on the basis of we've come pretty far in a short period of time. Um, but I don't think stocks by any stretch are overpriced. Fair enough. I saw you and Tony Batts. I don't know if I'm allowed to call him that, but since I'm half Sicilian, half Italian, I yeah, figured you can I can't. Yeah. yeah. Well, you guys you guys had a conversation a few hours ago about the VIX. Um, 
I would submit, and again, this is just my view. I'm not certain I'm right, but you know, 21 VIX or thereabouts in the environment that we find ourselves in is probably at the lower end of the range. That backs up my belief that the market sells off. I think it somewhat backs up your belief that we're a little rich here. Can you speak to that? You know, how do you listen? I'm not suggesting anybody trade the VIX, but I think you have to have it up as sort of an indicator as to where things are. The VIX has been our, I mean, volatility in general. I don't, you know, we, we use VIX futures actually, not not the VIX itself, but the VIX futures, which are which today are wrapped around like 23 and a quarter, which is the lowest that they've been. And we've been super bearish on, you know, on the VIX since it was, you know, for the last, let's say 20, 30%. But it's been a battle for the last couple of months. I thought it would get down to the low 20s. It's down in the low 20s. Mm-hmm. Now, you remember, now, long-term mean is 18 and a half. Mm-hmm. So, so you're not like the VIX is not cheap, but this is not 2017. This is not 2015, you know, where you're dealing with 12s, 11s, 15s and all that kind of stuff in VIX. This is this is, a you know, a 22 VIX right now. This is not or, or a 22 volatility, 23 in the futures. This is not cheap by any stretch. It's cheap relative to 2022. So we look back and we look at this year and we say, hey, where are we now? <clears throat> You know what? The VIX is on the low end. And so if you want to take a little bit of a, some downside delta, some short delta here, I kind of like it based on where the VIX is here. And the VIX has been a pretty good leading indicator. But this market, to be fair, guy, this market, it's crushed you when you're early. Absolutely. It's absolutely crushed. either side. It's crushed you early. No question about it. Listen, I don't want to get too esoteric here, but that leads me to... You know, our next slide here, we're talking about board on this morning. And if you listen to him, which I'm sure you did, you know, he said, listen, if you think the Fed's pivoting here, think again, you know, rate hikes are there. Now, I say this on the context of the VIX, because one of my beliefs, and again, I'm not suggesting I'm right, but I think when the Fed has been accommodative literally for the last 20 years, one of the ancillary effects, one of the desired effects or just something that just happened without them realizing it was they dampened volatility. Fed largesse dampened volatility. We find ourselves now in a different paradigm. So although you're right, obviously, historically, you know, in the context of things, 18 is sort of the mean. Can I make a cogent argument that that's different now that the Fed is taking away liquidity? Does that make sense to you at all? It's it, it's a part of the arguments the Fed's taking away liquidity. But I think the real the, at the at the at the crux of the argument is that vol- volatility? One of the fa- one of the um, one of the variables that impacts volatility is interest rates. Mm-hmm. And when you take interest rates out of the equation, like you have for the last decade plus, and you take that variable out, volatility becomes pretty benign. And when you add that variable back in, all of a sudden, which is which is interest rates as a new variable into the equation. Um, all of a sudden, volatility changes. The whole model for volatility changes. So it was long overdue that there would be an interest rate component added back into volatility. And I think that's what you're, that's the difference maker right now. Well, let's talk about interest rates because you've been trading them front and center. I mean, the moves, again, just my yeah. opinion, but the moves we've seen in yields over the last, specifically the last couple of weeks, but more specifically, you know, over the last 18 months or so have been historic. When you see a yeah. 20 basis point move effectively over the course of a, of a six or seven hour period, I mean, that's somewhat unprecedented. We have a chart up here. You can see where we traded down in the 10 year we've bounced. Thoughts on just... I'm going to talk about the inverted yield curve and what that means, but 
just in terms of, and we've talked about interest rate volatility, but the moves you're seeing, how are you navigating this? Well, interest rate volatility is, you know, almost, well, it's 50% over norms. It was mm-hmm. as high as, as high as 100% over norms. Uh, for me, so, so I'm an active bond trader. I mean, I, I actively trade the yield curve. I actively trade bonds. I actively trade notes. And I also actively trade the yield curve. So just to give you an example, this morning, uh, I'm, I'll tell you exactly my position in there. I'm short bond premium. I'm short note premium. And then directionally, I'm short a lot of premium right now because I, I think the the vol in bonds is way too high. But directionally, we're playing the yield curve. All morning, um, I was uh, buying twos and selling tens. And I'm already, you know, I'm, I'm playing... I'm playing for the yield curve to expand. The last two days, it's contracted dramatically, especially the two-year, you know, two-year yields have gone to the moon and, and the, everything else has been crushed. So I have been playing this and getting pretty aggressive in the 210, 230 and playing that yield curve move. I'm playing it to expand. It has been contracting. So I do not have it on at good prices right now, but it's at historical levels. And it, in the US, it tends not to stay here very long. So that's my bet. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting bet. We have obviously a tweeter from Lisa Abramowitz. If I met, if I you know mangled her name, I apologize. But you know, you wonder what this signals. And I'm not an economist. I'm not trying to pretend to be an economist. And I know what you're saying. It doesn't typically stay here that long. But what signal is there? A signal that you're no, looking no. at in terms of you know that you, maybe you're right or maybe you're wrong. It's a fair question. But see, I'm I'm not. I don't think in fundamental terms. So I don't look at it as a market signal. I look at it as, as a market extreme. You know, Price differential is not something that necessarily has to normalize. There's no such thing as mean reversion in price. By, by There's no math equation to support mean reversion in price. So I look at price differential as an extreme, as an, as an opportunity at price extreme, whatever, it's a very subjective term. Mm-hmm. The price extreme being subjective, I look at it purely as market opportunity. And I think when you think about you know different things like like for example volatility getting too expensive it can't hold it volatility getting too cheap bonds getting too expensive that's that's hard to define but yield curve getting too inverted I don't think that's that hard to define from an extreme side so does it mean anything I don't think so basically what the market's just telling us is short term short term there's a lot of pressure to push rates to try to push rates higher but long term the market's pricing in a very normal, much lower interest rates. That's all it is. It's fascinating. You know, again, it's 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 interesting how, and that's what that's why trading is so for me. You know, I get such a kick out of it because you could have ten people in a room that could look at the ten exact same thing, and you have ten different um, opinions, outcomes, variables, just the way they look, the lens with, with which people look at things, and obviously. You know, your lens is really important, which is why we do this. The other thing that you trade actively is energy, crude oil specifically. And, you know, we have a headline here, you know, OPEC increases, probably not what the market is necessarily looking for. You know, my sense is as much as people want to basically castigate OPEC and say they don't control things, they still pretty much control things here. And you had a great call on crude, Dan, as well. You thought lower was the, the way we were going here. The, the path of uh, least resistance is probably down, and that's been correct. At what point, though, do you think this thing turns, if at any, or what point do you take off that short position and get neutral to the extent that you are? I, I am short crude all right now, um, but it, it's, 
it's been trading in that kind of that low 90s to low hundreds range for quite some time right now. But I feel like every time I watch crude oil and I trade, so so I'm a premium seller. So, mm-hmm. so I sell a lot of puts and a lot of calls, but I just try to keep my calls closer to the money. So it gives me some short delta in there. And the way I'm watching crude oil trade, it feels like there's a lot more pressure on the downside still. So I would think that the the outlier risk in crude oil, if there is any outlier risk, it's the downside. I think it gets into the mid to low 80s. That's that's my kind of near-term projection. It gets somewhere mid to low 80s. It's interesting you say sell puts. I totally get that strategy. And I'm not looking to get too inside baseball here, but is there a level, is there sort of a line of demarcation where vol trades below that you say, you know what, I'm not getting paid enough to take that type of risk in terms of selling puts. I mean, obviously it's different for everything, but do you think that way? I absolutely think that way. So we, we basically build a, we build a ton of technology at Tasty. So, so a bunch of the technology we build is all centered around, you know, being able to put context around volatility. So the two things I look for with respect to volatility is one, that it's not too low relative to itself. We call that implied volatility rank. Mm-hmm. Another thing I look at is I don't sell cheap stuff because I feel like if I'm going to take if I'm going to take naked exposure, I would rather have a little bit of juice in there. So I, l- I like some meat. Um, so I don't go below a 16 delta option. The, 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 the kind of sweet spot for us is 2022 deltas, which puts you enough far enough out of the money that you can, you know, you can sleep at night, but, um, but gives you enough premium that it makes the trade worthwhile. So that's obviously something you have to watch. And you know, a lot of people that implement that strategy. And when I do speak, I think, unfortunately, Tom, what I have found, and hopefully people will get educated by this, that you know they put on that strategy regardless, and they will continue to do it as vol continues to go lower. And what I say to them is, listen, you're not getting paid enough for that kind of risk. And I think, so unfortunately, people need to learn that the hard way, and sometimes they do. But I'm glad you brought that up, because I absolutely think it's something that the people listening and watching should know. So thank well, you for that answer. The other thing that you've been talking about of these fintech stocks. And listen, a lot of these things are off to the races, having all been sort of crushed over the last 18 months. I know Robinhood is on your radar screen, and I think you're looking for a continued bounce in this name. But can you just speak to what you're seeing in some of these fintechs? Because they're finally getting off the mat. And again, whether it's a bear market rally or not, I don't think it matters. If something goes up 25% over the course of a couple of days, that's a pretty interesting move. Well, I didn't understand why, you know, I understand trading volumes are down. And I get that, you know, there's been there's been a little bit of a contraction across the board in the industry. But what I didn't understand is with with interest rates going higher, you know, most of these asset gatherers or most of these financial service stocks really benefit from higher interest rates just on assets that you know are sitting with the firm. They don't pay any interest. Um, Robinhood, I thought what I thought was a very unique situation because it got to a level where it was trading just above their cash. Now that doesn't mean anything. As far as you know, other than the optics of it, the perception, it didn't mean that Robinhood, you know, probably lost about seventy-five to eighty percent of their business, but their stock was down by ninety percent. Mm-hmm. So, so I felt like you know, Robinhood's one of our biggest longs, even though they're a competitor, they're one of our biggest longs just based on price. Um, but I'm not long at a good price. Like I'm probably long at a, a shade over eleven. It's trading a shade over ten right now because I was buying it on the way down. Mm-hmm. Um, but but in general, our biggest longs are in the fintech sector because that's 
you know, that's where we live, you know? So, so part of it's because that's the space I kind of feel like, you know, I, at least I understand. Here's another esoteric question and I apologize. And I have pretty strong opinions on this, but you mentioned the price in which you're long, which I totally get. You need to know your cost basis, but in terms of making decisions, does that matter? And and my point is it does not. Right. Can you sort of amplify that? Cause I agree with you. Sure. Because it's, 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 you cannot trade or invest based on where you did something. You know, the, the business we're in today, Guy, it's, it's all about capital efficiency and taking advantage of opportunity with whatever capital you have, which means you have to be capital efficient. You have to be smart about who cares what you did. You know, mm-hmm. like if I bought Robinhood at $35, which I didn't, but I, <laughs> probably at one point I might have traded there. But if I bought it at $35 and now it's trading for nine, let's say, I mean, who cares that I bought it at $35? It's over. That trade's dead. It's never getting back to $35. I'm not holding it. I look at everything, you know, as where it is now. I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes you'll buy something and it'll go a little lower and you'll say, yeah, I'm going to hold this or you'll sell something and it'll go a little higher and you'll say you're going to hold it. That's fine. But if you're talking about something that you did at some ridiculous, who cares? Mm -hmm. Who cares? How does that, how does that even come into play with your thinking about opportunity and capital efficiency? It doesn't. I totally understand that. And I also know that you understand that that's not the the norm for people. They're not wired to think that because way. Because they right? don't trade. Because they don't trade. If you trade, you think that way. Because, because you're indifferent. You know, you have to be because you don't, it's just another trade. But when, so when you make hundreds, thousands, millions of trades, it doesn't make any difference to you. One, they're all the same thing. They're just an act. But when you only trade, five or 10 times or 20 times a year, of course it matters. Tom, tell us what's going on at Tasty Trade. I mean, you should definitely go to tastytrade.com. You should follow Tasty Trade on Twitter, at Tasty Trade. What do you guys got going on? Talk to people real quick in terms of what you're finding to be interesting and what's the hot topics on the site. Well, the nice thing about Tasty, and this is where we really differentiate ourselves, is on our, on our brokerage platform on Tastyworks, we support every product. So, so, so we're the only brokerage firm in America that supports every listed product plus crypto. Um, so, and every strategy in every account type. So we don't like, we don't, we don't have different levels. We don't have different, we say, we don't say you can only do this in a certain type of account. We don't care what you have. It's an IRA account. So, so we built a platform that's basically wants you to just, you know, our whole, our whole goal is, Hey guy, you want you want to trade? You want to manage your own money? You're a do-it-yourself investor. We will we will provide you the opportunity to do whatever it is you want to do. That's all I care. That, that's that's what that's what a really good brokerage firm should do. And content-wise, we just back it up with optimal mechanics. Our content's not, hey guy, I like Apple here. Our content is, hey, it's op. If you like Apple here, this is an optimal approach. I love it. I think it's all about community as well. I think you would agree with that. You know, I think people feel empowered when they're part of something and the fact that you're available to them the amount of time you are during the day. And I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. It's just true. I mean, no, you're I'm a psycho. I'm you, a you love psycho. this, but no, but you understand though that that makes people feel very comfortable about what they're doing. They don't feel disenfranchised or they don't feel like they're sort of out on their own. They feel like they're part of something. And to that extent, I think you've done an extraordinary job. You can continue to do it. And and Dan and I are thrilled that we can do these uh these, you know, 15, 20 minute interviews to the or conversations every Wednesday. So thanks for joining us again, Tom. Thanks, guy.
Thanks. Talk to you next week. Absolutely. I love it when he comes on. You know, we like it when you watch, obviously, but you should definitely check out, check out Tasty Trade. They're doing amazing things. And it is about community. And I think it's a place where you'll find, you know, you're part of something and you can generate ideas, have conversations and, and talk about trades, which is really important, especially in the environment that we find ourselves in. Anyway, thank you, Tom. Now, obviously, without further ado, bringing the great Carter Braxton Worth, who's been sitting on the sidelines waiting to join. Carter, how are you on this fine day? Well, unfortunately, Carter has forgotten that the mute button needs to be uh, disabled. How about now? You know, you would think, <laughs> see, there are people that come on to CNBC's Fast Money from time to time, and they impale themselves, yes. he or she, because they've never done it before. But you are now, I know this for I a fact, because we've been doing this together for a while. You're a 16-year veteran, and yet you still find Can't it, you get know? the mute button. Well, the mute button is, it's like the ultimate, it's like buying puts. It's the ultimate head, and you can't, because we all know what happens if you, you know, you could be having a conversation, nothing to do with this. Now, anyway, you, know um, you know what's really now, funny? I was wondering, before Hold on. You know what, Before you start, I was like, is it going to be, you said, you didn't say aforementioned, right? Without further ado. Without further ado, aforementioned, this is bingo about Nirvana, man. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'll give you another bingo, Nirvana. I just made fun of you and criticized you for a rookie move, yet I had my wire from my IFB showing in front of my shirt, which is a total rookie move on well, my part. Know, these, so these things, these we're things. both impelling ourselves on this Wednesday. But let, let's take a look at things. You heard the conversation. The market's off to the races today. I don't really understand necessarily why. Uh, we can take a look at that S&P chart again real quick. But what are your thoughts just today? What am I missing today? Is it the fact that Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan and the world didn't blow up? Yeah, that's silly, huh? No, I mean, I can tell you the conversations with institutional clients and what the bulls say. The bulls say a few things that are uh, just factual and true. The rate risk, the hype, we were at 3.5, it's going to get worse, has come off, right? The bloom, we're now at, at 2.527. That the earnings misses that we're going to come through and uh, haven't. And so, therefore, um, that oil, uh, a big drag on the economy and the consumer has pulled in and so forth and so on. So that the dollar weakening helps international says that, you know, we'll, we'll be OK. Now, hold aside all that. At the end of the day, it's just about sequencing. Mm -hmm. It's not about words like bearable, as you heard from Tom. It's just about where you are now in relation to where you've been. And this bounce, there have been four of them. Well, a little bit bigger, uh, not much, and a little bit longer, but not much. And it's back to a difficult level. So in principle, do you start to leg out of trades that were done well six weeks ago in mid-June? Or does one stay fully long? I think it's the former. You reduce exposure, you write calls. And for those who are just putting in new money, you make a judicious short here or there. I like that's a new bingo term, judicious. I like that. Well done by you. Let me ask you this. You have a feeling that there's some things out there that may be putting in bottoming formations. And of course, because it's your want to do, you brought some charts to back that up. I did, I did. And there are always things, right, that are topping energy rolling over or things that are bottoming. And so we're trying to be uh, attuned, each of us, all of us, we need to be the sequence and where we are and where we can catch an inflection point. So this is a comparative chart. It's very straightforward. You see energy on the top in black and then three ETFs, which have nothing to do with one another, right? Uh, you see IGV, that's tech. You see XRT, uh, that's retail, and XBI, mm -hmm. which is, of course, um, biotech. Now, if we were just look at those three laggards, if we look at the next screen, 
I mean, the truth is they are identical, right? You'll, you'll see the comparative lines. Um, XRT versus XBI versus IGV on their own slide. Um, and you'll see that bottoming out formation. And so we can look at individual. There we go. There's the comparative. Uh, they're identical. What does IGV software technology have to do with XRT retail have to do with biotech? Absolutely nothing. Because it's not about what they do. It's about whether these bombed out things mm -hmm. are turning, bottoming, just as something that's extended energy is rolling. But let's look at, um, if we want to, let's look yes. at all three of these. Let's do it. Uh, what do we have first? So XRT. That, XRT. Is that a Capanino? That's how I drew it, but you can draw it. It's a reversal formation. Let's try another iteration. Uh, XRT number two. Is it head and shoulder bottom? Kind of looks that way. Let's try one more. Let's put in a trend line. Did it break above the trend line? I mean, you know, these things are, does it have to work out because I drew the arrow that way? No. But isn't that what it suggests and history would reveal? Yes. And, and we've got charts for others, but this is an interesting phenomenon. I think it's fascinating. And, you know, a few, it's probably a few months ago now, you did this exercise, but you flip these charts around and it's amazing how the bias, you can eliminate the bias when you look at things differently. And, you know, if you flip this around, this would suggest something that's headed significantly lower. But then when you look at it, it looks like it's going higher. Now, people are biased to try to find things that are going up, which is why this chart is so powerful. But yet again, if you looked at the other way, you would say, my God, this is something you want to get out of and run for the hills. But I think this speaks to exactly that. So I'm with you on this. You know, again, the three of them have nothing to do with each other, yet the formations are extraordinarily similar and it makes you wonder what's going on. Let's take a look at the next one. Uh, I don't, I think it's, it's not the, it's the IYG, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. I think this one's XBI. IGV, oh, um, excuse me, yeah. XBI, sorry. Yeah, but sorry, I think Carter. IGV next, right, exactly. And so it, it's the same, I'm going to say, well, you're making these lines look the same because you want to tell a story. No, but I used a magnet. Those levels connect. You can see the intermediate highs. Look at the arrow, and you can draw this as a, as a double bottom. Look at the next iteration. Okay, it was. Could you draw this as a cup and handle? Look at the next iteration. It is. Meaning... And this is the, look, I, I'm not here to pitch technical analysis to anybody because in a way it sells itself. The point is, this is a great, it's a mind bend to the fundamental analyst, to the Federal Reserve chairman, to, to CFA. They're like, how is this possible that XBI, which has nothing to do with XRT, look the same? Because patterns repeat. Mm -hmm. Look at the last one. And you mentioned it. Look at IGV. I mean, so this is software. And IGV, it's the same thing. It's the same trend line. It moved up the trend line. It kind of tops the same point. It bottoms. Let's put in some drawings. Could we call this a triple bottom? Yes. Could we call it a, a cup and handle? Look at the next one. I mean, uh, or just here, leave it there. I mean, uh, anyway, I think these are trades and you can trade them and make money. This action, one could say, well, isn't this bullish for the whole market? Meaning if, if real laggards are bottoming and they've been bottoming for a while, uh, doesn't that one then make one very bullish on the S&P. The S&P is a different circumstance, right? The S&P 500 has rallied substantially um, up to its declining 150-day and is well ahead of these things that were down 60 and 70%, which are now gradually bottoming. And so that's very important. It's trying to catch some of these for laggards versus things that are too steep and have already expended too much energy. You know, it's interesting. You know, we have Tom on. He looks at the world through his lens, you look at the world through your lens, it doesn't mean they're not mutually exclusive, right? All these things can work. That's what makes trading to me 
so fascinating. I mean, everybody can look at the same thing and come up with different determinations, different answers. Card, any parting thoughts before we 5,000? Yeah. Um, you know, so much is dependent on macro. And yet at the very same time, individual charts, uh, if you do your work, you'll, uh, you'll prevail. Well, another great call on CAT. I mean, it went it's exactly the way you outlined it on Monday. AMD to the penny, as you said, that sold off down to 93. It's bounced a little bit. We'll see if it gets through that trend line. Uh, my instinct, it probably doesn't. But 130 on the screws. That's it for today's market call. I want to thank Tom Sosnoff. I want to thank Carter Braxtonworth. Thank our sponsors, FactSet, Tasty Trade. We are powered by Open Exchange. I will be back tomorrow with EY from SoFi, the two of us. Left to our own devices, you know it gets a little off the rails. My sense it will be. I hope your team did well in the trading deadline. If you're a Major League Baseball fan, if you're a Met fan, you're left scratching your head as they really did nothing. Uh, But that's neither here nor there. I will see you tomorrow. Goodbye.